Good morning, Grace Point. Um, I'm John Johnson, and if you thought I was Pastor Gunner, we've been out of church far too long. Uh, please read along with me out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We'll pray first. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word is a gift from you. And we pray that you would help us to hold your word in high esteem, that you would connect with us as we try to connect with you, and that we would take this serious in Jesus' name. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Now as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would not overtake you like a thief. For you are sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night or nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And as we talk about things like wrath and judgment and escape and, and all these things, these are heavy topics, Lord, and topics that sometimes were, well, they're uncomfortable to us. But Father, we see that you have a message for us, and we want to take this message and run with it with all spiritual alertness. So Father, would you give us clarity in the message that we're receiving? Help us to understand for personal application and help us to be more like Christ through this so that we might glorify you at our expense. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, knowledge of the future we see should have impact in the present. Knowledge of the future should impact the way we think, the way we do, what we are in the present. Two weeks ago, Pastor Gunner introduced us to an event known as the Rapture of the Church. And you'll recall that powerful uh, passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 where he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. And so with that knowledge of the future, we are told, comfort one another with these words. So let me ask you, did you in fact find comfort from those words? And, and more importantly, were you able to comfort someone else with those words over the last two weeks? You see, knowledge of the future should have an impact on life in the present, on the things that we say and the things that we do. Now, certainly with the COVID pandemic, a contentious presidential election, uh, national civil unrest, and an economic standstill for the last eight months, we all know people who are in need of real comfort. And we possess the information that can bring real comfort because 
we have knowledge of the future. The Bible tells us what's going to happen in the future. Now, as we enter 1 Thessalonians 5, God continues to give us knowledge of the future. And and with this knowledge of the future, there is an expectation that we, we will take action in the present. So, so let's jump into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and see what God has for us. Verse 1, now, as to the times and epochs, brethren, you have no need for anything to be written to you, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. Now, last time we looked at the rapture of the church, and now we're addressing the day of the Lord. What in the world is the day of the Lord? Well, the day of the Lord uh, that Paul is using is a phrase that has rich background in the Old Testament. The phrase, day of the Lord, is used some 26 times in the Old Testament. And if we expand that to the phrase, that day, some have said there's more than 75 references to the day of the Lord. It's a big deal. The day of the Lord always denotes a time when God steps into human history to interject judgment and bring about a course correction to people who are behaving off course. The day of the Lord is is a course correction. Now, is the idea of a national course correction appealing to you? Well, it sure is to me. I wish God would interject a little bit. But with most most long-term prophecies, there are short-term, even local fulfillments. But there's also one big ultimate fulfillment in mind when God introduces a big prophecy like this. When Paul speaks of the day of the Lord to the Thessalonians, Paul is referring to the final day of the Lord. The prophet Joel described this event like this. In Joel 2, he says, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. That great and terrible day of the Lord culminates with the appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ for the purpose of judgment upon the nations. Now, Jesus says it this way in Matthew 24. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The way Jesus describes it, this is a lot more than just a simple course correction. And note that in the King James Version anyways, it reads, immediately after the tribulation of those days. Now, many Bible students believe that there will be this seven-year period of tribulation that covers the entire world prior to the physical return of the Lord Jesus Christ for that final day of the Lord. And, and our adult Sunday school class uh, is presently studying the book of Revelations, and they would recognize this period of tribulation as occupying chapters 6 all the way through chapters 19 of the book of Revelation. There's a lot going on during this time of tribulation. But this actually begs a question. If people who refuse to trust Jesus are destined for eternal punishment in hell, as the Bible teaches, why are they being punished on earth during this time of tribulation? It's like, isn't that like double jeopardy? And that's really a good question. Briefly, the period of the day of the Lord, called the tribulation, really focuses on the nations, not on individuals. And that's 
a fine distinction. Not only is Jesus breaking down the nations who have rejected him and his rulership, but he is also preparing the nation of Israel to accept his lordship over them. And unfortunately, it will take a lot of pain to bring about the nation of Israel to their knees in full submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, if you choose to, you can spend a lot of time studying the day of the Lord, studying specifics. We're going to move on. But in summary, here's how the Bible describes the day of the Lord. Catch these key words. Destruction, cruel, desolation, extermination, anger, doom, tremble, darkness, blood, gloom, bitterness, wrath, devouring, terrifying, burning. Tell me, are these happy words or sad words? (laughs) Sad words, aren't they? You and I want no part of the coming great and terrible day of the Lord. And just to be very clear, while the church will not be part of the great and terrible day of the Lord, the the, the tribulation, this is in no way to signify that churches and individuals will not be exposed to various trials or, or persecutions. Use whatever word you want. It all equals pain. Pain and suffering have always been necessary elements in God's curriculum to strip away our flesh and to transform us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The difference is not in the pain received. The difference is in the motive of the administrator of that pain. God tells us that falling under his discipline is a sign of his love and of his acceptance. Hebrews 12 tells us this clearly. He says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as son. The great and terrible day of the Lord is not about disciplining Christians. It's about wrath and punishment on the nations who have rejected the rulership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And keep that in mind. This letter was written to a suffering church. Paul is actually encouraging them that they are not in the midst of the great and terrible day of the Lord. It all feels the same to them, though. It all hurts. Suffering hurts. And if I can stretch your mind just a little bit longer here, just a wee bit more, there will be people who will actually get saved during the Great Tribulation. But it won't be a pleasant process. God holds out this offer to flee from the coming wrath right up till the end. But a day is coming when that offer will no longer be extended. Now, Pastor Gunn has already pointed out that the rapture of the church takes place before the great and terrible day of the Lord, and that's, that's really good news. One may foolishly say, well, when I see it getting close, then I'll become a Christian so I can escape it. Well, Paul addresses that very issue in our next verse, verse 3. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. People living in darkness will not recognize the signs of the times, nor will they take action. And knowledge of the future should have an impact on the choices we make now and in the present. And the Bible tells us that now is the time given to us for us to put our faith in Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to put our trust in Jesus so that we will escape the coming wrath. 
In fact, this is exactly what Paul is telling us in our next verse in Thessalonians. Read on, verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief, for you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. And, and there's a principle here, something worth writing down. The principle is this. The coming day of the Lord is obvious to those who are awake. The coming day of the Lord is obvious to those who are awake. Now let me ask you, do you see the signs of the times? Listen, I'm not an extremist, and I'm not an alarmist. I'm, I'm just a cop. But even a casual observer can see the accelerating downward spiral of human history at an international level. We are in the days of Noah, and violence is throughout the land. And knowledge of the future should impact our present, what we're going to do with it. So, what are we to do with this knowledge of the future? Well, Paul tells us in our next verse, verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. You'll recall that in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul uses the phrase, those who have fallen asleep, to designate Christians who have died. That's not what's going on here. Sleep and drunkenness are used in contrast to alert living. And the things we have to understand is that in telling us to not be asleep, Paul concedes that it is entirely possible for Christians to be other than alert, to be asleep. We all know where this applies to us. We all have those secret or not-so-secret distractions that keep us away from overt Christian living, those areas where we're prone to dabble just a little bit or a lot, inventors that have little or no eternal value, those areas of the mind that daydream about passions and possessions and position and power. If nothing comes to your mind right now, ask God. He'll reveal what your issues are, if you mean business. But Paul says, we are destined for better things. Look at verse 7. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But, but since you are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. In fact, there's a principle here again, something worth writing down. The coming day of the Lord encourages overt living. The coming day of the Lord encourages overt living. Now, just like in Ephesians 6, written some 20 years later, Paul, Paul connects alert living with articles of a soldier's armor. Make no mistake, men and women, we are in a battle. Paul recognizes that we are presently living in the midst of this accelerated downward spiral of humanity. And he gives us tools to protect ourselves from the fatal blow. Look at these tools. The helmet of salvation. And this is not a reference to protecting your mind from the world's influence. No. This is talking about the headshot, the fatal blow. There are no fatal blows for the Christian. You cannot lose your salvation. The helmet of salvation means nothing can take away your eternal life. And God wants us to know it. In 1 John 5, God tells us this. He says, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. The confidence of knowing that you are in Christ is paramount to alert Christian living in a world that is in a fatal tailspin. 
Now, the breastplate of faith and love, this has to do with the actions of alert living. If you knew for certain that Jesus was coming back, say, Tuesday, what would you do? I'd go back to work on Monday, and I'd keep doing what he has called me to do in the circle of influence in which he has put me. Listen, warrior, you need to dress up in the confidence, another word for faith, that God has uniquely placed you in a sphere of influence where you are specially equipped to be a dispenser of his grace and his love. Now, I'm a cop. My, my sphere of influence extends from the backseat of a cage car transporting people to jail all the way into the briefing room of a local substation where men and women in uniform are trying to figure out what their purpose is in the world. Some of you are equipped and called to a quilting club, to chemotherapy appointments, to train high-speed, low-drag warriors who are doing the Lord's work in regions beyond. Your sphere of influence is the place God has put you. He doesn't make mistakes. In fact, your journey through pain in this world was the very tool which God used to specially equip you, to, to specially qualify you for the field of influence where he has put you. It's no mistake. Let me ask you, how will you intentionally be alert to God's opportunities to dispense his love in the sphere of influence where he has placed you? Men and women, this calls for sober, intentional living. You and I are not destined for wrath, but we are destined to help others obtain salvation. In fact, read on. Look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. That God has not destined us for wrath is a powerful truth. And, and some would say it's a dangerous truth. I mean, doesn't at least a little fear of wrath help keep us on the straight and narrow? Well, the answer is no. And if, if that's part of your religious upbringing, it's really time for you to apply a course correction. You, Christian, are not intended for wrath. But do note that Paul applies this only to those who have obtained salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, the Bible tells us that we were once children of wrath. Ephesians 2 says this, Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Yes, everyone by nature is destined to suffer wrath. And let's not sugarcoat this, but God. The two best words in the Bible, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen. Now why does it, excuse me, what does it mean that Jesus made us alive? What, what, what exactly did he do? That's an excellent question. And simply this, the wrath of God that had to be poured out on you and me because of our sin. Jesus let God pour out that wrath on himself instead of on us. We call it substitution. Romans 5 says it this way. It's the classic passage for this. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us 
in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Jesus. So have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have, have you accepted his gift of substitution so that you can be transformed into one who is not destined for wrath? Knowledge of the future holds responsibility for today. The Bible is clear on this. Without Jesus, you are destined for wrath. But in Jesus, you are not destined for wrath. Which do you choose? The 11th verse of chapter 5, Thessalonians, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you also are doing. You see, knowledge of the future should impact life in the present. Does this passage leave you disturbed or encouraged? Grace Point Church is a church that takes seriously the call to build up one another. You are a church of encouragers. You clearly love each other. You know this. You're, you're intentional. This is not by accident. So be alert. Continue to be intentional. And move forward with confidence that God has shaped you for a unique sphere of influence. God has positioned you in a unique sphere of influence. And we need to armor up daily if we are going to operate as his people, sharing his grace and his love in that unique sphere of influence in which he has placed you. So let me ask you this. Where has God intentionally placed you as a person of influence for his glory. Is there an area of your life where you need to wake up and be alert? Then do so. And if you need help, reach out. Reach out to the church if there's some issue that you, you can't separate from. Reach out. We get it. We understand. You won't suffer judgment here. See, knowledge of the future should impact life in the present. What will you do with this knowledge of the future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are frail beings. And when we're talking about us not suffering wrath and then talking about your wrath, we all recognize that voice inside says, but Lord, I feel like I haven't done enough. I feel like I haven't been enough. But God, being rich in mercy, Father, would you help us to cling to you, to move forward with confidence that we are not under your wrath, to move forward with confidence that you have trained us and positioned each of us in a sphere of influence that the other guy is not adequate to be in. Would you guard our hearts from the evil man and the evil woman and also from the things inside that would distract us from alert and sober living? And Lord, I pray that you would give courage to that man or woman here today that needs a little extra help to separate from the issue that dulls them from being alert. Help them to reach out, to connect. Father, we are totally under your care. Um, We acknowledge that this is a rough and difficult time, uh, but we have a wonderful God, and this is exactly the when that you have placed us here on earth. So we trust you and we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, to your glory, amen.